between my friends. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this family that you've put together from different places in New York and how we just come together as people who have one thing in sure common, that we desperately need Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself, that you would magnify yourself, you would fame yourself throughout this congregation and throughout this service. Father, I also pray that in Jesus' name there would be a sense of your presence, that you would touch every life here. I pray, Lord, to those who are struggling and suffering with physical ailments, that you would move and touch their hearts and their bodies, Lord, that they would be able to, even within the pain, be able to focus on the words that you've given us. Father, I also pray for those here who are going through marital strife, Lord, I pray that the husbands would humble themselves and would glorify you and lead their families in a way that would bless them. I pray that they would stop making excuses for being disobedient to your word and simply submit to you. Father, I pray also that the children here would be united in heart and in purpose to their parents and that the parents would not, uh, they would not burden the children with things that are unnecessary. I pray, O oh God, that if there's any bitterness, anger, left over frustrations that you, by your Spirit, would free those here from that. Lord, I also pray that you would reconcile things that are not left reconciled. That your Spirit would move in a powerful way. That there would be confession and forgiveness extended and your glory known. And Father, I also pray that you would be by far the greatest, most joyous, most ultimate thing, person in our lives. Not just on Sundays, but in fact, every day. And finally, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with uh, addictions of all sorts, whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or sex or shopping or one of the many other addictions that we struggle with, Lord. I pray that there would be a great replacement of those idols with your presence. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, we're, we're starting a new series. Now, this was a four-week series that got turned into a two-week series. Everybody say, thank you, Irene. Thank you, Irene. Right. So, um, I'm going to, I'm not, I was going to give you four weeks and two weeks, but and then I realized that this would have been a no-week series, because if I try to give you four weeks and two weeks, none of you would take anything away from it. But we do have a lot to cover. And we're going to go, now, in your, in your bulletins, you do not, this time, this one week, we, we reserve the right for five times a year to just keep you on your toes so you bring your Bibles, all right? We, so five times a year, and we're not telling you when, right? Either that or I wasn't able to get the sermon map on time. One of those two. But I'm sticking with the first story, okay? All right. Um, so I want you to open up your Bibles to Second Kings chapter 17. We're going to learn from God's Word. If you do not have your Bible, I want you to introduce, you, I want you to introduce yourself to the person next to you and watch along with them or read along with them. 
Now, what we're going to do in these next two weeks is we're going to talk about worship. Now, we're going to talk about this week, the hindrances to worship. Next week, we're going to talk about... Now, look, look up here at me. This week, we're going to talk about the hindrances to worship. Next week, we're going to talk about um, attitudes or examples or healthy habits of worship. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to try to give you a definition that's broad enough. Now, when people say, I am going to a worship service, they are abs- I don't want to be like a, a snob about it. They're right about that. They're, they're going to a service in which worshiping God will be paramount. That will be very important. And when they say that, they usually mean music. That music is a big deal. In fact, when, and, and by the way, so you know, music is a big deal of worship, right? If you don't believe me, there's a whole section in the Bible given just to music. It's called the Psalms. It's given just to music and prayer and worshiping God um, and all sorts of different prayers. Um, so if you ever, so we're talking today though, not about a particular time and place, we're talking about, we're talking about a life that is filled and focused of worshiping our Creator God. Now, the good news is, you're already good at worshiping God. Did you know that? You were created to worship. You were created to worship. It is in your DNA. You were created to breathe. You were created to eat. You were created to uh, understand and comprehend. You were created to worship. It's what you were created to do. And isn't that just like a really cool deal? Um, Now, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you a story. A lot of you weren't here when this happened, okay? And I've since repented. But last time I talked about worship, it was about three years ago. And... um, what happened was I was in the downstairs facility that we, were go- we are going to go back to next. We're not going to go upstairs. We're going to go downstairs, right? It's under construction. You, uh, you just heard me talk about it, right? Okay. So I was on a stage like this one. And it was back when, and, and it was, maybe it was more than three years ago because it was when the Passion of the Christ came out. Does anybody remember the Passion of the Christ? Okay. All right. So I took my wife out to the fanciest restaurant I, um, that I knew of, right? The Olive Garden. Anybody? That's not very fancy, right? But for me, that was like, wow, getting out. We're moving on up. You know, it was like, wow. And so it was nice. It wasn't McDonald's or Burger King. She was a happy camper. They gave us free bread and everything. It was awesome. So I thought, I thought, for real, I thought that that was a very fancy place. So I told a story to the congregation. And if you were there, I told it so well. Is anybody there? Is anybody there? Okay, you know where I'm going with this, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, you still have said about that moment, right? So here's what it was. I was teaching on worship, just like I'm teaching now. I was thinking about doing this now. I'm not going to do it to you, but here's what happened. So we actually set it up, because you know that we don't, uh, we don't set up like sermons every week. The, the sermons are set up like a year in advance. Like we literally have 2012 planned out. Like 40-something sermons in 2012, completely planned. So it's not like something that we get. But the creative ideas, we usually get very close to the actual delivery date. Well, so we're, so we're at this thing, and I remember it was a, a couple of us, and we were sitting at the table. I was like, wouldn't it be cool if, and this is what happened. We came up with this idea, 
that Mel Gibson should visit our service. Mel Gibson. Remember, this is at the height of the Passion of the Christ, right? So I go up on stage and the bell rings. Now, everybody knows that I would lose my mind if the bell would ring, right? Anybody know? Anything that interrupts, this is why you, like, if I had a gun, you'd be in trouble if you got up, like, I mean, you know, bring depends. Like, don't get up, go to the bathroom, don't get up, because you disrupt from what God is doing. That's just a plug for staying in your seat and not moving around and answering your phone and all that stuff, because you disrupt what God is doing in other people's lives when you do that, especially with these creaky floors. But back then, the bell rang. The bell rang, and so Louisa came up to me, because she was with us at the time, and she came up to me, and, she, and I said, get the bell. You know, and everybody could see that I was angry, but I'm kind of acting, and I'm really good at that, so that's cool. So then she, she goes, and she goes, she goes, and it rings, and then she comes back, and she says loud enough that my lapel could pick it up. She goes, he's here. He's here. That's all she said. He's here. Can you feel the excitement? And so at that moment, I get into the story about how my, I took my wife, and I thought that the reason that the story was plausible to me, because the Olive Garden was really a very, it, I'm not kidding, you guys laugh at me, but it was like, you know, the Ritz, right, for me. And so, and so as I'm, I, I tell this story about how, and I'll tell it to you the way I tell it to him. I'm in, I'm in uh, the Olive Garden, my wife and I are eating, and there's a huge entourage that comes in and walks to the back of the room. I notice in the midst of big bodyguards that in the center of this uh, um, uh, midst of bodyguards is Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson uh, is walking toward the back. They section him off. They, t- they leave four or five tables around him empty so that he could have a meal undisturbed. Me being the bold one and your pastor recognize that since we're talking about worship, wouldn't it be cool if Mel Gibson could come, come here and talk to us about what impassioned him about making the movie and all this other stuff. So what I do is I walk over and I'm just kind of nervous and scared and I walk over. Now I'm telling them the story just the way I'm telling you. And they believe me because... I'm honest usually. And so, um, and so I go, I go and, I say, and I'm stopped by the bodyguards, and he says, we can't let you go any closer. It's Mr. Gibson just wants to have a meal, blah, blah, blah. And I, said, I gave him my card, and I said, hey, listen, there was two people from my service, and I named uh, one particular person from the service, uh, Louisa's sister, um, who had actually received Christ after watching the movie. True story. And so that part they knew because we had let her share her stuff, uh, share her testimony. And then... So then she, we, we leave, right? And then after that, he calls me over, telling the story. So he calls me over, and I say, hey, listen, I know you're a very busy person, but wouldn't it be great if you could just stop by for five minutes and tell us what impassioned you about doing the Passion of the Christ, and we just want to celebrate you and all that other stuff. He goes, great, let me get your card. I gave him my card, blah, blah, blah. So I leave. Now, the bell has just rung. Louisa came back and said, he's here. What do you think everybody thinks? He's here. So there's a door right there. So we had, we actually put one of these spotlights, and we never had it. And we shut off all the lights. And I went like that, and, and the drummer started going. Brrr. So you could imagine the tension that's being created, right? And so the spotlight goes to the door, and I say, the Mad Max of Thunderdome, the one with the passion for the Christ, the, the, you know, and I start mentioning some, you know, the, the you know, the, uh, what was the other one? Braveheart. The Braveheart of Hollywood. And I just start, and it's like, you can feel it. The light goes on. The glasses go there. And I say, Mel Gibson. And the doors open up. And I'm telling you, people lost 
their minds. We saw bras thrown out to like, um, there was a, no, I'm kidding, not quite, not quite. It wasn't, it wasn't that far. Um, but we literally saw women, I, I, and there's this one woman who I laugh when I just think about, she, I, I can't stand on this, but she stood on her chair. She's like, ah! She was like clapping and screaming. Am I lying, right, for some of you who were there? They, everybody went out of my mind. It was, it was the most deafening experience I ever experienced in a church service. People jumping on their chairs, screaming, running forward to see, because, you know, when people stand up, the little people can't see. Short people, thank you, we love you anyway. And so they were running up just to see. And then I walk around the door, because there was a door over here and there was a door over there. And I walk around the door and I come out and they see me. And they're confused. And at that point, I look at them and I say, now that was worship. Because now we're back in 2011, okay? We're no longer in whatever he did that. You and I are wonderful worshipers. You are an expert worshiper. Some of us worship the Yankees like it's, it's unbelievable. Some of us worship our, the way we dress. You, you were fundamentally, in your core, were created to worship. Tell the person next to you, you're a great worshiper. Now lean over to that same person and say, but I just don't know what you worship. Uh, come up to me. Come up to me. Come up to me. Listen. They lost their minds. They jumped on seats. And I'm serious. I'm not hardly, like, expressing it enough. I'm downplaying it. They lost their mind. Like, there was going to be, like, a bum rush to the door. It was insane. I was almost, I was having like a little anxiety attack because I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I thought I, thought I was going to get fired because they were really looking upset. <laughs> but I did not have to tell them. Now come on, stand to your feet. Come on, let's, let's lift up our voices. No, you know, that's kind of embarrassing, you know, kind of lifting up your voice. You know, what isn't the neighbor going to think? And um, I didn't have to do that. They lost their minds. Because naturally, in them, without any instruction, much like uh, little babies, you see, you know, people throw them into water and they start to swim naturally. It's a natural thing. You are a worshiper. The rub is, the part of the problem where the Bible comes in is that we often give our worship, our adoration, our affections to the wrong thing. And it's to the degree that we give our worship, adoration, and affections to the wrong thing that while we will be fantastic worshipers, we will be not worshipers of the one true living God. Now, I took the time to tell you that, and I'm going to have to race through the rest of this uh, 
so I need you to just take notes. We're in 2 Kings chapter 17. I'll give you, but I want to give you a working understanding of worship, a working definition, and here it is. Worship is an act of giving ultimate value to something in such a way that engages your entire being. Okay, did you get that? I didn't invent that. I got that from Tim Keller. He got it from someone else, I'm sure. But um, I, want, I, want to he- I want you to hear that. Worship is an act of giving ultimate value to something in such a way that it engages your entire being. Now, listen to me. When you and I worship, what we do is we give ourselves to something. What we're talking about is what has your affections? What has your affections? And the thing that has your affections is the thing that will determine what you do. Some of us come, and I would have you raise your hands, but I don't want to. Some of us come from an addicted background. If I asked you to raise your hand, at least 60% of this congregation would raise their hand and say, I come from an addicted background. In other words, it was alcohol, it was pills, it was, you know, it was heroin, it was whatever it was, right? Coke, crack, whatever your thing was. Most of us come from an addicted background. And, I, and in that statement that I just said, your affections will lead and guide you. Your affections will lead and guide you to do things because your heart is attached to that thing. So here's what I mean. When I'm going to explain your entire using experience, like when you actually, right? And it was this. You were a worshiper, some of you still are, of the substance. So you're struggling with staying clean or you're struggling, uh, not staying clean, you're just using and you're trying to get better and all that other stuff. I get that. Listen to me. I was there. I totally understand that. Don't hear me judge you. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is help you to understand that you, don't have, you didn't have a drug problem. You had a worship problem. Does that make sense? You don't have, listen to me, listen to me. Some of you cannot stop cannot stop thinking about food, eating, and, you know, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. I actually struggle with this myself. I think about it too much. And you just consumed about it. See, you don't have an eating problem. Listen to me. You have a worship problem. Some of us are growing older. This is a rough one for me because this is right where I'm at. And I was just combing my hair. And it was like, this year was the first year where I actually really had to move my hair. Like, I never thought about moving my hair. I mean, some of you guys understand what I'm talking about. Where you move, I've always combed my hair and then left, right? Now I'm in the phase of life where I'm no longer combing my hair. I'm moving my hair to the most appropriate position so I can at least pretend like I'm still young, right? So I'm in this new stage of life, right? Okay, now watch this. This is really important. This is key. This is key. I'm not having... Watch this. When we worship our appearance, 
we're devastated when our appearance starts to change. Listen to me. If you've never seen somebody who worships their appearance, follow a guy somewhere between 45 and 55. They call them mid-life crisis. Here's what they do. Because their appearance is changing, because they're starting to evaluate the way they look and all this other stuff, what they do is they leave their wife of 20 years, buy a Corvette, it's always the Corvette, um, buy a Corvette, and get with a girl half their age. Why? Because they're worshiping their selves, themselves. See, this person doesn't have a drug problem. They have a worship problem. They're wonderful worshipers. They're wonderful worshipers. They worship with the, when the drug says, get up out of bed. When the drug says, go and take from your mother. When the drug says, do me a favor and lie and cheat and steal. Like dutiful worshipers, you bow before your king, say, I will obey and do that which your God tells you to do. When it's 2 o'clock in the morning, or perhaps you've been going on throughout your day, and you're thinking, man, I can't wait to get home and open the refrigerator and eat and do all this other stuff. And it's just, no, and that's a real issue. That's a real issue. I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of this. I'm not, like, I hope I'm not trying to be funny. Um, it's a, I'm talking, right? And so you open up the refrigerator and the Shekinah glory of the fridge comes out and it glows on you and you're like, wow, and you're going to, and you worship, you know, and you, you, know, you worship your, you know, your gods, Ben and Jerry, and you worship, you know, and, 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 and Hagen and Daz, right? And you, and it's, and it's, watch this, you, you're already full. You wake up at night, you go back to that same refrigerator, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you know no doctor in the world would co-sign that. You know that no, no, health, no healthy uh, diet would ascribe itself to that. And yet, there you are, 1 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, knowing that you shouldn't, this is going to harm you. You know what you are. You're a dutiful worshiper. The food, your God, says, I want you to obey me. I want you to destroy your health. I want you to gain weight. I want you to have less energy. I want you... That's what I want. Those are my acceptable sacrifices, your God says. And you go, what must I do to honor thee? He says, have another pint. Have another pint. Don't eat till you're full. Eat till you can't eat anymore. Have another bite. You are a wonderful worshiper. I just... I just can't stay faithful. I can't, you know, I get a girlfriend and she's good to me and then I cheat on her and she breaks up with me. I get another girlfriend then I cheat on her and she breaks up with me. Then I get another, you know, and the girl says I get a boyfriend and I cheat on her and she just, you know, it's this whole thing. Listen, 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 listen. You do not have a faithfulness problem. You have a, I wonder if I'm getting across to you. You and I suffer with a worship problem. It is a worship problem. You go into an argument and you go, well, I'm not going to let them talk to me like that because they don't know who I am and all this stuff. Listen, 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 listen. You don't have a rage or attitude problem. 
Your problem is, is that you want others to bow down to your intensity. You have a worship problem. Now listen. We suffer. God is not oblivious. This is not a new 20th century phenomenon. God knows that throughout history, there have been people... Listen. It's why. It's... There, let me finish this thought. There have been people who say they worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and yet their real God is something else. This is why it's okay for you to live like... Okay. It's, listen, me too. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to go to peep shows and go to church the next day. I know what it's like. like I'm, not, I'm not pointing any fingers. Do you understand... But do you understand that I found it real destructive to my own life? Do you understand that I, I hurt myself? And so I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about us. But some of you are making decisions about boyfriends and girlfriends, lifestyles even. And what it is, is your lifestyle is your God. And so you will... No, no, no. The Bible says one man, one, more, one, wa- one man, one woman in holy matrimony. And you go, D- D- no, no, no. I say that I worship God, but in fact, I worship my identity, my lifestyle. And so when it's a choice of worshiping God or worshiping your lifestyle, your lifestyle wins. It's why. It's why I've been in so many counseling sessions And the girl who professes to worship Jesus says, I worship Jesus. I said, no, you don't. You worship. I had a heartbreaker. A heartbreaker. I mean, I get heartbreakers all the time. I'm thinking of one about three or four years ago, two or three years ago maybe. Loved Jesus, was going to be a missionary. You know what happened? The boy. The boy happened. And the boy who was not a believer, who became her God, said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to worship at my altar. I need you to lay on this bed and I need you to worship at my altar. And she very dutifully did. And she's not pursuing God anymore. In fact, the reason I thought about her is because three weeks ago she just wrote me a letter saying, hey, can you tell me the times of the service? Why? Because... When you worship that God, when you, when you pursue that God, it steals. It's, listen to me. Your affections are going to be attached to something. It's going to be food. It's going to be property. It's going to be respect or prestige. It's going to be uh, uh, sex. It's going to be money. It's going to be, uh, uh, it's going to be uh, uh, one of a million things. One of a million things that are going to want to... So when you meet people on the street, when you, if you follow them along, even if you never hear what they say by their actions, you go, oh, you're a worshiper of shopping. Because when, it's, when it comes to being responsible or shopping, you worship your God. And you give yourself all sorts of excuses of why this is okay. Why it's okay not to pay that bill. Why it's okay to get in deeper debt. Why it's okay, because you're only going to have to pay $10 a month, and who can't afford that? And it's only going to be 46 years before you're done paying for it, but who can't afford $10 a month for 46 years? See what I'm saying here? You 
are a worshiper. And you do not need me to instruct you on worship, on who to worship, on, on how, rather, not who. You don't need me to instruct you on how to worship. You don't need me to instruct you on the acts of worship. You do not need me to instruct you on worship. I would just submit to you that you're worshiping a poor God. I was struck by this this um, week. Um, I'm, I'm listening to this, uh, this series of conversations. It's called The Elephant Room, where Christians are get together with differing opinions, and they start talking to each other about their different opinions. It's an incredible uh, deal. It, you have to, it, it's a little bit of money, but it's actually worth it. I, it's, it's an amazing conversation. And one of the conversations was, you know, missions and, you know, how to extend, you know, share the gospel with people. And, and one pastor said, he said, the, the, one of the things that I fear is that I'm going to go to, you know, and his mission field is India. There's like, you know, huge population in India. Most of the, church, uh, most of the world's uh, poverty-stricken people right there in India, unbelievable poverty. And he says, I come and I bring water. And I bring, you know, things that you, you and I take for granted. And I bring water and I bring things like this. And he said, my fear is that they'll receive Jesus, they'll just put him on the shelf with all the other gods. And I thought, ooh, that sounds like a definition of Brooklyn. Ooh, that sounds like a definition of NBT. Here's how it comes to my ears when, we, when I argue with someone or when I'm discussing with someone about worship and they're just interested in adding Jesus to their already filled mantle of gods. What they do is that they come, right, and, and, and he comes to me and he says this, but I love her and I love Jesus, but I love her. And I go, great, you love her, honor her, honor God. Does she know Jesus? No, she can't stand him. But, but, and here's the, here's the, the pushback, he goes, what I'll do, it's called missionary dating, right? I'm going to be a missionary on this date, right? And what they'll do is that they'll come with me to church. And we all know how well that works out, right? And so he, he goes, she'll come with me to church. And I go, but don't you understand that God says don't do that? That's like, okay, that's, you know, some things we have to guess about. Seven heads on, the, you know, right? Like, you know, seven lampstands in Revelation. I wonder what that means. Oh, wait, 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 let's guess about that. I'm not sure, right? But can we all agree that not connecting yourself with a person who doesn't love Jesus is a bad idea when Jesus says that's a bad idea, right? Now, now wait, 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 wait. So you know what he does we, we go back and forth, I show him the scriptures, and he goes, but God can do anything. In other words, God will take my mess, and he can fix it. I get this with marriages, because I, my, my marriage started off so horrible and terrible and horrible. You got a terrible marriage, my, I, I beat you, right? We had like a terrible marriage, my wife would tell you, for like 10, 11, maybe 12 years. Only thing that kept us together was... Uh, were, was her loyalty to the children and my, my idea that I wasn't going to leave my kids to be like, you know, what happened to me? Like my dad left and I wasn't going to leave my kids to do that and so I kind of stuck it out. Horrible marriage, right? She's my best friend right now. 
Love her with all my heart. Most beautiful woman in the world. Love her, love her, love her. But back then, it was a horrible marriage. So people who know my story will come up to me, and I've gotten this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And they come up, well, God did a miracle in your marriage. Can he do a miracle in mine? As if that's the theology that we want to build of worship. God, I'm going to get you to do it. I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do because the truth is, is that you're not God, I'm God. Right? And so, listen to me. You are a phenomenal worshiper. You worship your car, you worship your stuff, you worship your body, you worship the internet, you worship... Now, with that in mind, that sets us up beautifully for 2 Kings 17, because here's what happens. In 2 Kings 17, God has something to speak about what you're worshiping or what your focus is in worship. And in 2 Kings 17, what happens is, is that the, the, uh, the people of Assyria, their king, rebel... Um, not the people of Assyria, the people of... Uh, Samaria. <clears throat> the people of Samaria rebel against the people of Assyria who are attacking them, right? Or who then start to attack them and try to take over the land. The king and the people are taken over. And what happens is, is that that king of Assyria, he puts, uh, he fills the Samaritan place, village, people group, and he fills it with people all over, from all over. So those people bring their gods with them. Right? Nowadays we call that a church. Where people who already are determined to worship their God, that guy, that girl, money. So if the boss says overtime or Jesus, you go overtime. If the boss says promotion or Jesus, you go promotion. If the, if the, if the, if the girl says, you know, loss of integrity or Jesus you go loss of integrity if the right so worshipers if the if the if our appetites call us we open the fridge we do the shopping Jesus doesn't win Jesus is just another god on your mantle and so these people came with that perspective and what happened was is that God was rebuking them. God was sharing with them. This is not the best for you. Because God only wants the best for you. Even in your suffering, God wants the best for you. Your marriage is going downhill. God is trying to work out an issue within your heart in order to address Because he wants the best for you. He wants you to humbly respond to that. Your kids are... God has a work to do in their lives as well as a work to do in your lives. Our responses worship the king who only wants the best for us. Your finances run dry and your response and my response should be worship of the king because God is trying to do something. To worship him, to depend on him, to rely on him, to love him. It can't be Jesus plus this thing, that will make me happy. That will equal heaven. That will make me overjoyed. It can't be Jesus plus something else. It's just Jesus. And so these people decide, no, 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 we don't want this. And I just want you to show you an example of what their response is. God 
sends these people. He sends them prophets. He helps them. He tries to draw them to himself. They refuse to respond. And here's God's word. He says this in verse 38. For God had said, verse 38, Luke, um, it's Luke. 2 Kings 17, verse 38. 2 Kings 17, verse 38. For God had said, you must never forget the covenant I made with you. Never worship other gods. Look up at me. Listen. What is our definition of worship? Our definition of worship is an act of giving ultimate value to something in such a way that engages your entire being. Okay, you want to find... Okay, here's, here's how you can find out. Here's some questions um, that you can ask yourself to find out what your idol is. Is there anything that's a good thing in your life that has become a God thing? In other words, the thing that, like, you know, if this thing changed... Listen, listen. I once, we once had a leader in the church. Do you know why he stopped coming to services? Because of his son's t-ball. You know? They don't even pitch. It's not even real baseball. Right? It's like, if your kid never went to t-ball his whole life, he'd be a happy guy. Right? It's embarrassing, quite frankly. Right? Because if you strike out in t-ball, my goodness. Right? You put the little thing there, and you swing the thing, t-ball. But, but, what, is this kid bad or demonic or anything like that? No! He made a good thing, and he elevated that good thing into a God thing, which is a bad thing, just in case you haven't noticed. Food is a good thing. But when you elevate food, listen, how do you know if food or... or, or what do you think? If you've had a really tough week, what can't you not wait to do? Go to church, cool, okay. Um, what can you not wait to do? If you have like a really tough week. Watch this. Watch TV, sleep, smoke a cigarette, um, music. Watch this. That is an indicator of what your God is. That is an indicator of what your God is. If there, in other words, what spells relief in your life? What spells relief in your life? Anybody remember that old commercial? Rolades spells relief. And those of you who are under 30 are going, like, what is that? And like, don't worry about it. Ask, ask one of the older people, right? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. That's what spells relief. What spells relief? Is it L-U-S-T for you? Is it S-H-O-P? Is it F-O-O-D? Is it M-O-N-E-Y? I can't go any further because my spelling's not that good, but my point is... My point is... How do you spell relief? How do you spell relief? Not the person sitting next to you. Not the person that you wish could be here so that they could listen to this message. How do you spell relief? D-R-U-G. How do you spell relief? I don't know. You know. But the way you spell relief, that is your God. Why? Because worship is an act of giving ultimate value to something in such a way that engages your entire building, uh, being. 
It's in 2 Corinthians. Remember in 2 Corinthians 6.15, the question that's asked in that verse? It's this. It's, what does Jesus have to do with Baal or Belial? What does Jesus have to do with Belial? Listen. The very thing that has your affections, the very thing that you run to, the very thing that you look for freedom, the very thing that you look to to take away the stress. When you get angry, what do you run to? Rage. That's your God. When you're under pressure, what do you run to? Pornography. That's your God. When you're under pressure, what do you go to? Alcohol, drugs, food. Well, then that's your God. That's your God. And you go, but no, no, no. Jesus is my God. Listen. You've simply added Jesus to the mantle like these people have. Verse 38. For God had said, you must never forget the covenant I made with you. Never worship other gods. You must worship only the Lord. Anybody, everybody say those last three words, only the Lord. One, two, three. Only the Lord. That, now, listen to me. That's not just a Sunday thing. That's a how I speak to my wife thing. That's how I deal with my children thing. That's how my, I, I, I connect with my boss thing. Should be an act of worship. Not that I worship my boss, but that I worship my God. And because I overflow and worship with my God, my boss experiences a better employee. In other words, Jesus should not just change one area of my life, but in fact change everything. Because worship does that. Remember the Mel Gibson thing? Did I have to tell those people to clap? And it was some of you, you know, some of you. Did I have to tell those people to stand up? Did I have to tell those people to scream? Did I have to tell those people's heart to start beating faster? You know, because when you're in the presence of greatness, there does something to you. It does something to you. I meet people all the time. I mean, I meet people all the time. I don't ask to take pictures with everybody. I meet one of my heroes. I ask to take a picture. Nothing wrong with that. That's beautiful. You know, you want to create a memory. But we've got to be careful that that doesn't go to worship. We worship only the Lord. Then, continuing on verse 39, He, that is God, He will save you from all your enemies. Look up to me. Look up to me. The enemies that they were speaking about in 2 Kings were the enemies that they could physically see. Physically see. The enemies that are attacking, the ones with the bows and arrows, those are the enemies. Listen to me. The enemies that you and I face, you don't physically see. Some of us face the enemy of insecurity. Right? Right? You're, you're, I mean, you're desperate. You're insecure. You, you, you hear those old words in your head and so you react accordingly you understand what I'm saying right you'll, you're not nothing you'll never be nothing and so you just kind of flow with that kind of thinking that, that's an enemy that's an enemy that the Lord can overcome oh you know what you're, 
you're not really a man until you are with many people, many women. No, 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 listen, listen. That's an enemy. That's an enemy. You know what? You're not going to feel good until you've had this kind of taste or this kind of... Listen, that's an enemy. And that's an enemy that the Lord can conquer. And how does He do it? He does it in worship. He does it in worship. You, you worship the King and you, you see how great and big your God is and you see how small your idols become. God is not just something you add to your mantle. He is worthy of our worship. Verse 40. I want, to, I want to read you some of the saddest words in all of the scriptures. But Israel didn't listen. And the people, listen to this, continued to worship other gods. These colonists from Babylon worshipped the Lord, yes. Did you hear that? The colonists from Babylon Worship the Lord, yes, but they also worship their idol. And to this day, their descendants do the same thing. Okay. You're not sure if you're an idol worshiper? Just watch where your kids rebel against you. If you watch how your kids rebel against you, there's usually a correlation between how your kids rebel against you and your rebellion against God. In other words... Uh, and I tell this, this is, not, this is not necessarily worship, but it has something to do with worship. Whenever um, children start rebelling against uh, a wife, or, or a mom, rather, I should say, whenever children start rebelling against a mom, but they don't rebel against their dad, my question is always, do you respect your husband? Because they're just doing to their authority what you have been doing to yours this whole time in front of them. Does that make sense? I know that doesn't feel good or anything like that. Do you understand? And, it, and so it is with worship. So, if you're not sure where your worship... Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. You worship your own... Your own... Uh, you worship your own... Uh, what is that? Reputation. You worship your own reputation. And so, when you worship your own reputation, what do you do? You become a liar. Right? Because you've got to defend your reputation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't 10, it was 200. It wasn't 50, it was 5,000. What, what, what are you doing? You're worshipping your own reputation. It's why one of the reasons we lie. Israel had this thing where they said, if you came up to them, listen to me, if you came up to Israel and you said, you are no longer worshipping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they said, not true. Look, I go to Sabbath. I mean, I, I go to temple every Sabbath. I open up the scrolls and read about God. I do everything that Joseph over here does. I do, and I think, quite frankly, a little bit better. See, listen to me. Worship is a heart issue. What has your affections? What, ha what, ha what is the thing that is pulling on your affections that you're willing to disobey God over? Is it him? Is it her? Is it it? Is it that? Is it... What is it? Because that is what you truly worship. So, um, hmm. uh, 
I want you to ask yourself some questions. Who or what mediates between you and God? Write that down. I'm going to explain that in a second. Who or what mediates between you and God? When I, what, I say, what, I say, what I mean by that is a mediator is someone who goes in between. Who is the one who mediates between you and God? And listen to me, listen to me. This happens in churches all the time. If I could just get discipled by that pastor, then I would be closer to God. If I could just spend time with that elder, then I could be closer to God. If I could just go to that conference, then I'll be closer to God. If I could just go... You, you, you get what I'm saying, right? Is there something that comes in between you and God that you can't grow in Christ, you can't enjoy Christ, that you can't revel in Christ without that thing? If I could just read that book, if I could just listen to that speaker, what mediates between you and God? Where is your functional heaven? Um, the whole world is filled with functional heavens. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Where is your functional heaven? Um, have you ever seen a magazine rack? Have you ever seen a magazine rack in like Barnes and Nobles or anything like that, right? What you see in the covers of magazine racks is somebody's functional heaven. Okay, so let me tell you what I mean. So if you open up, if you look at the cover of Men's Health, there's, always, there's never a fat guy drinking a beer on the cover of Men's Health, right? right? Never a guy who looks like me. There's a guy who I dream about looking like, right? And will never be... I love the advice that a football um, quarterback said. He goes, oh, are you older than 25 and you're trying to get a six-pack? He goes, buy bigger shirts. I love that advice because if you're older than 25, it's going to be rough to get a six-pack and look like the way they look on those magazines, right? And you guys aren't tracking with me because that was funny. Um, so just kind of um, track with me. When you look at that, you go, oh... Car and driver, heaven. I get it. Oh, be, listen. Look, if you have, women, listen to me, listen to me. What is the magazine that you get that on the cover that they're trying to sell the most copies? What is that? What, how to, you know, eight ways and how to please your man. Two weeks to losing 16 pounds. It's your... Fun that, is, that is your functional heaven. In other words, heaven is not really heaven. What's really heaven is if I could have that. If I could have that. So the car and driver, it's the pimped out rims, it's the nice moonroof, it's all this stuff. If I could just have that, that would be heaven. Men's health, if I could have that body be able to run those miles, be able to lift that weight. Fortune. Anybody can guess? What's a functional heaven on the magazine, a fortune magazine? Sure. Sure. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. We all struggle with God. I don't need to instruct you on how to worship. I need to instruct you in changing what? You worship. What is your functional heaven? What functions is heaven for you? Um, yeah, that's enough. Listen to me. What would happen? What would happen if 
we started. This is what I want you to do. Now, I, got some, I have some instructions for different sections of you. Fathers, listen to me. Listen to me. If you started to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you would start, you know what you would start doing? You would start creating copies in your children. Every problem that you have, fathers, listen to me, every problem that you have with your children is solved in your worship of God. Every, pro- every problem. Every problem. You can't think of one. It's all solved in your worship of God. Listen to me. Fathers, here's what I want you to do. Fathers, write this down. Psalm 34. This is this week's assignment for you to disciple your children. Every week you should be talking to your kids about the Bible. Every week you should be opening up the scriptures. If th- listen to me. Listen to me. Dads, there's a reason. There's a reason that if dads smoke, kids smoke. There's a reason that dads beat mom Kids wind up growing up to beat their wives. There's a reason. Because they're paying attention to you. You're discipling them. You're guiding them. You're leading them. The question is to what? So I'm going to help you. Worship. Worship. Psalm 34. Everybody, write that down. That's for everybody you can do. But dads, I want you to teach your kids worship this week. Psalm 34. I want you to recite it with them. Tell them, this is what we're going to do. Let me tell you how I do it in my home. In my home, I play an instrument that I can't play that good. I sing songs that I can't sing that good. And I say, and my, listen, listen. It's powerful. It's powerful. I open up the scriptures. And you know what I do? I share with my kids what God has shared with me. It's not hard. If I spend time with God on my own, then I got, I got more to give than I can possibly. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I, I don't do it every day. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with four times a week. If you're in four times a week, you're golden. But dads, shoot, you, you dads, shoot. Listen, disciple your kids in worship. How do you do that? You have, you worship, you go like this. Here's a prayer for everybody. I'm going to tell you, everybody to do this. Watch this. Here's your prayer for this week. Lord, stir my affections for you. Stir my affections for you. And if you're in this, listen, if you're in this congregation and you're like, oh man, this is old hack and I've heard this, you need to pray. Stir my affection. You're a veteran. You've been around for like longer than I've been alive. Stir my affect. Let that be your prayer. If you don't feel a great sense of Mel Gibson, excuse me, Mel Gibson, jump out of your seat, lose your mind, stomp your foot. If you don't feel that, you don't sense that, listen to me. I want you to ask God to stir your affections for him. Now back to dads. Dads, here's what you're going to do. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. Go ahead and don't, don't, don't just read that. Go ahead and look that word up in the dictionary. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will rejoice in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and uh, rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This poor man called and God listened. And he saved him out of all his troubles. He who fears the he who fears um, the angels encamp around him. Those who fear the Lord, the angels encamp around, and he protects them. 
Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And there's about another, I don't know, that was, that was verse 8, but there was, it goes up to about verse 21 and 22. Here's my point. My point is, as you get that in you, you go, God, I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Isn't that true of you? Like, I mean, didn't you just seek the Lord and he answered you and he delivered you from all your fears? Like, right, right. Isn't that your story? Right. You give that to your kids. You teach your kids. Dad, impart this worship. Because listen to me. You do not have to teach them how to worship. They already do that great. If you don't believe me, take away their playing system. They're unbelievably passionate. Oh, my kids are not that focused. Yeah, really? Shut off a movie in midstream. They're passionately focused. Now watch this. Here's what I want you to do. Dads, I love you. I want your kids to be blessed. I don't want you to wait till 16 before you try to connect with them. Do it now. Dads, that's what you're going to do. Moms, here's what you're going to do. You are going to worship God. And you're going to share. You're going to share Maybe Psalm 34, maybe this Psalm, maybe this Second Kings over here. You're gonna talk. You're gonna have conversations with your husbands about it, and you're gonna go, husband, would you teach me about this? Would you show me more about this? Would you expect? Here's what, I, I was reading Bible, and this is what the Lord taught me. Tell me more. I want more. Oh, what kind of a sweet? Not in a disrespectful, I know more than you way, but in a submitted holy, humble way. Single person, here's what you're going to do. You're going to find someone this week and you're going to talk to them about worship. You're going to find someone this week and you're going to talk to them about worship and you're going to tell them everybody's a great worshiper. It's, you're, it's not a question of being a worshiper. It's a question of who you worship. I want you to find your co-workers or your friends and I want you to listen to me. New people, you're here for the first time and you just started to come around. I want you to ask some of these old timers that you see, so maybe some of the people that you see on the microphone, maybe some of the people who you see give announcements, maybe some of the others that you see perhaps in this front row. Listen to me. Ask them. I, I don't know about worship. I don't think I was clear about worship. Could you help me worship? And even if they say, I don't know, can, you, can, you, can, you can both go, let's worship the Lord. I don't know exactly how to explain. I'm not sure I got, I got the words for you. But it's, it, it, looks like Mel, it looks like a greater applause than Mel Gibson. I mean, surely Jesus deserves better than Mel, right? At least. At least. If we start to evaluate our worship and we worship the king, what you will discover is that your entire life, your marriage, the way you look for relationships, the friendships that you have, the way you go to work, the addictions that you find yourself going back to again and again and again, you will find that they will sometimes slowly, but without doubt, definitely, loosen their grip on you and you will be more free than you ever, ever were. No longer will food or money or prestige or property tell you what to do. But you will be free from those slaves. And you will be free not only to worship the king, but rejoice in that. Now, next week, next week I'm going to teach you how to, some exercises and some practices that you can go through your day in growing 
your worship to the King. This week, all I want you to do is pray. Stir my affections for you. Dads, I want you to disciple your kids. Moms and wives, I want you to go to your husbands. If he doesn't exist, I want you to, I want you to start praying with your kids. If dad's not around, I want you to start praying with your kids and start teaching them. I want us to be a church that worships the King, honors God, and does that with great glory. Let's pray. Father, you are a gracious and holy God. One who deserves our praise and our adoration. One who deserves our worship. Father, we come before you as people who are Olympic caliber worshipers. People who don't need to be taught on how to worship but people, in fact, who desperately need to have their idols changed. Lord, don't let us be like Israel. Don't let us be rebellious. Don't let us be like a people who take this new God that we've been introduced to, Jesus, and just put him alongside of our sex God and our food God and our money God and our shopping God and our prestige God and our property God. Don't let us add Jesus onto another God that we worship. Don't let it be. Don't let it be. And so, Father, I pray that as we become sensitive to some of these questions and we start looking this week when we're tense, what we're looking to relieve our tension. As we start looking to the things that we say, but I deserve a break today, whether it's a television or an internet site or a shopping store or a food product, I pray, oh God, that we would be liberated. Right now, Jesus, liberate those here from their idols. Liberate them to worshiping you and you alone. Liberate them. Liberate us. Do a a marvelous work that you would be exalted. Remind us, O God, that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived but did not. Died the death that we deserve to die but don't have to because he went to the cross so that we would become worshipers of the King. May we all receive his forgiveness. Receive him in our heart as both Savior and Lord. Make that true of all of us. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.